Well, I'd invite you to turn in your copies of God's Word to James, the book of James. We'll consider James chapter 3 this morning, and that's on page uh, 1073. James, James chapter 3 on page 1073. I know we haven't considered this book together, but um, some well-known words from earlier in the letter, James 1, verse 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And then in verse 26, it says, if anyone, um, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but... Um, deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And there in chapter 1, James is introducing some of the, the topics that he'll consider later in this book. And so we'll see this, this use of the tongue and this use of speech here in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, God's word says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in, money, in many things, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce, <coughs> excuse me, fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is, un, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God or, or made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. This is God's word. And before we consider it together, let's pray and ask for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father and our God, we are humbled by your word this morning, humbled to see how unable we are in ourselves to tame our tongue. And so we ask as, you, as we consider uh, your word this day that you would instruct us by it, that you would teach us of Christ and of the help available uh, by his spirit. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for we offer them in Christ. Amen. Well, I'm sure that each of you has had the uncomfortable experience of watching in horror as unwise or unguarded words leave your mouth and make it to the ears of those with whom you're speaking. You kind of stand there helpless, dumbstruck, wishing that you could grab those words and stuff them back in your mouth. But alas, the deed is done. And of course, it's too late. It's not hard to imagine this scene playing out. Maybe not imagine, it's not hard to remember this scene playing out. Uh, You think of a child who's home from school, who forgot that he was using a four-letter word with his parents and not his peers. Or you think of an employee who didn't realize that he hit reply all with that email that was so critical of his boss. The husband or wife who in the heat of an argument used cutting and biting words where they know their spouse is most sensitive and most tender. Each of us knows what it is to be dumbfounded, wondering to ourselves, how could I have said that? What was I thinking? Or or perhaps to wonder, how could I have said that again? One commentator said, looking back into the past, there are many, there are very many deeds that we would like to go back and leave undone, but they are vastly unnumbered by the words that we would now wish unsaid. I'm sure that's your experience also. And it is this this grim reality of our inability to control what we say that James is addressing in our text. And so the call of this passage this morning is to pursue heavenly wisdom so that you can control your uncontrollable tongue. Pursue heavenly wisdom so that you can control your uncontrollable tongue. And we'll consider this calling in this passage in three headings. First, in verses 1 to 5, or the first part of verse 5, we'll consider that your tongue is powerful. Second, in verses 5, the second half of verse 5 through verse 12, your tongue is naturally wicked. And finally, in verses 13 to 18, your tongue needs heavenly wisdom. Your tongue is powerful. Your tongue is naturally wicked. And your tongue needs heavenly wisdom. And first, look with me at verses 1 to 5, where we'll see that your tongue is powerful. James begins this section of his letter with with quite a a startling statement. A startling statement. He says in verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. 
This is quite a startling statement, I think. Certainly throughout church history, uh, the prayers of the church have been filled with the petition that God would raise up laborers to send out into his harvest field. Uh, Brad prayed for that this morning. He prayed for the seminary that is training up laborers and training up teachers. The Apostle Paul said that when Christ ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Among those gifts, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, the the same word in our text, the teachers, to equip the saints. And teachers are listed as, as gifts from God. And yet James says, let not many of you become teachers. The reason that James gives is simple. Uh, Teachers are naturally held to a higher standard of knowledge than their pupils. And the connection that James makes between teachers and the rest of our text is this. Teachers use words. Of necessity, teachers use a lot of words. And and James, I think, is giving. uh, He's intentionally being stark. He's intentionally being startling, and he's giving something of an occupational hazard warning. He's saying, don't aspire to an office and position which will present temptations which you have neither the grace nor the maturity to resist. And while James may use teachers as the jumping off point for our text, he quickly makes clear that he is not only addressing teachers. It's not only those in the church whose profession is to teach and minister, uh, but he's, this warning is for all his audience. He writes, we all stumble in many things, or, or, or we all stumble in many ways. Uh, all of us. Uh, but his point is that, that those whose vocation requires the frequent use of their tongues are presented with greater and more frequent opportunities uh, to stumble. But make no mistake, uh, even if you are not an ordained teaching officer in the church, this warning is for you. Even if you do not aspire and would never aspire to the office of elder, this warning is for you. Let not many of you become teachers. In Calvin's commentary, he understands James's use of teacher to, to be quite broad. Calvin says, But I take teachers not to be those who performed a public duty in the church, but such as took upon them the right of passing judgment upon others. For such reprovers sought to be accounted as teachers of morals. And whether or not that's the sense in which James is using the term, the application is sound. You may not aspire to be a teacher who has an audience in the church. But do you aspire to have an audience? Do you aspire to have an audience? Do you carefully and thoughtfully cultivate and craft your online presence, boosting your followers and building your brand so that you have an audience and a platform to speak to whatever issues pique your interest. Friends, where words are many, sin is not absent. And where those words are spoken as with authority, you will be held doubly liable. During my first year of seminary, 
a, a pastor friend in the PCA offered me this advice. He said, don't start a podcast, don't write a blog, and don't build a brand. It's wise counsel, and it's applicable well beyond seminary walls. None of us, none of us should presume that our words, that our hot take, that our social media post holds the key to whatever situation we've taken it upon ourselves to speak into. Where words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 10, I think verse 19. If, and if James starts out with this attention-grabbing statement, it was to set the stage for one of the major points that he wants to drive home in this passage. Uh, that the tongue is a disproportionately powerful member of your body. The tongue is a disproportionately powerful member of your body. James says, uh, we all stumble in many things. But then he's very specific about the tongue and the words that we use. He says, if anyone does not stumble in words, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. James is saying, if you can control this one little muscle between your lips, uh, then you can control, you'd be able to control your whole body. But of course, no one can control their whole body and no one certainly can control their tongue. Some of you will know the name Gordon Ketty. He comments on this passage in James. He says, no one has ever perfectly tamed his whole body. Uh, the easier job, far less controlled his tongue, the more difficult task. And, and to drive home this point about the disproportionate power uh, that the tongue wields, James gives two parallel illustrations. Uh, the bit in the mouth of the horse and the rudder on the stern of a ship. You think about the horse, it is an independently strong animal with a mind and will of its own. And yet the skilled rider is able to control the horse with the bit and with the bridle. Uh, the ship may not have a mind of its own, but it is acted on by fierce and strong external forces, uh, the wind and the waves. And yet the skilled pilot is able to control the ship with the small rudder, rudder at the stern. The bit and the rudder are small pieces of equipment, but they wield incredible influence over powerful forces. And James says, that's your tongue. That's your tongue. It's powerful. Verse 5, James says, even so, the tongue is a little member. And it boasts great things. It boasts great things. Normally, I think we have a negative connotation with that word, boast. And especially in a passage that's dealing with the tongue, we might expect this to be a sin against which James is warning but, but I don't think that, what, that that's what's going on here. You see, the boast of the tongue is legitimate. The boast of the tongue is legitimate. It is a small member, but it wields disproportionate power and influence. The tongue is powerful. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And can't we see from this 
that if we are slow to hear and quick to speak, it is no small sin. If we are slow to hear and quick to speak, it is no small sin. If we comfort ourselves and ease our consciences, well, well, everyone runs their mouth sometimes. Everyone loses their temper and says something that they regret. If, if we're foolish enough to say it's sticks and stones that break bones and words don't hurt anyone, if these are the words that we speak to our consciences, uh, we're saying in effect, uh, to change the illustration a little bit, it's fine to drive a car with a strong engine on busy streets, even if the brakes aren't great and the steering column freezes up sometimes. Of course, that's ridiculous. You're going to hurt someone. When my wife moved to Indiana, at, at that time, my, my girlfriend, when she moved to Indiana, uh, a few weeks after she moved, uh, she was rear-ended by a car. And the other driver was nice. They exchanged information. And he said, oh, yeah, my, my brakes aren't really working. And he was driving a truck with a trailer. And also wondered, and I think that she still wonders to herself, what were you doing on the road? And that's what James is saying. If we let our tongues run, we're going to hurt someone. Friends, your tongue is powerful, and it needs to be bridled. It needs to be controlled. And, and that's intimidating enough. It's intimidating to be dealing with something that's so powerful. But the news gets a little bit worse. The news gets a little bit worse. Under our first heading, we saw that your tongue is powerful. But as James continues the passage, we'll see from verses 5 to 12 that your tongue is naturally wicked. Your tongue is naturally wicked. We can see as we progress through this passage that, that James continues his use of illustrations of the small which can affect the great. Look at the second half of verse 5. The second half of verse 5. James writes, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. On September 5th, 2020, a California couple decided to reveal the gender of their unborn baby in incredible fashion. A smoke machine meant to spew out clouds either of blue or pink into the sky. But something went wrong. Perhaps you know the rest of the story. Their device malfunctioned, and it triggered the El Dorado wildfire in the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California. It raged for more than two months. It burned 22,000 acres. It destroyed five homes and more than a dozen other buildings. And it took the life of one firefighter who was fighting the inferno. James says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And this is the illustration that James chooses to identify not just the power, but the destructive power of the tongue. He says, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Again, to go back to Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man plots evil 
and his speech is like a scorching fire. James says that our tongue uh, defiles the whole body, or or some of your translations may, it it stains the whole body. Uh, The image is of someone whose maybe mouth is a little bit too full, and as they talk, liquid or some staining sauce pours out, and it ruins their clothes, and it exposes them uh, to ridicule and to embarrassment. Think, Think of how someone can ruin their reputation or their career, or their relationships with wicked, unguarded, hurtful words that spill out of their mouths in a single moment. And they may offer their defenses or their explanations. I I didn't mean it. I don't know why I said that. I was so stressed. I was so tired. Well, I just had a little bit too much to drink. But Jesus exposes that lie, doesn't he? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It can't come out if it's not already inside of you. James says that the tongue sets on fire the entire course of nature. From our first babble through the end of our life, the tongue is capable of damage. Calvin says when other vices are corrected by age or by the succession of time, or when at least they do not possess the whole man, the vice of the tongue spreads and prevails over every part of life. And James finishes this uh, by identifying the satanic, uh, the, the satanic influence of the, tongue on the, of the tongue of the natural man. He says it is set on fire by hell. When the Apostle Paul wanted to demonstrate the unrighteousness, when he wanted to to illustrate the unrighteousness of all mankind, he drew attention to the tongue. Romans 3, 21, 21. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Brothers and sisters, the tongue of the natural man is hostile to God and hostile to neighbor. It is powerful, it is wicked, and it cannot by human strength be tamed. James says that all manner of creatures from the animal kingdom have been tamed, but no man, no man can tame the tongue. It's not a real encouraging picture, is it? And at this point, I think that James anticipates an objection. James anticipates an objection. One could say, James, you are being too hard on yourself, and you are certainly being too hard on us. Uh, Do I occasionally say something that I wish I could take back? Sure. Uh, But sometimes I say nice things, too. I can tell you of at least five nice things I've said in the past day. Shouldn't that count for something? But you see, James isn't having it. James isn't having it. He says it doesn't work like that. Look at verse 9. He says, with our mouth, we bless our, um, what does it say? Verse 9, with our mouth, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing. And James doesn't pause and say, keep up the good work. You are halfway there. 
No, he says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. James is saying, if you curse people who are made in the image of God, then you really betray that your blessing of God and that your praise of God is empty and hollow. And when when James is speaking about cursing, uh, he's not just talking about four-letter words that we use to berate. Uh, It's broader than that. He's talking about slanderous words, words that unnecessarily harm the name and reputation of our neighbor. He's talking about biting and devouring words that are intended to tear down and to destroy. And as we go on in this text, it shouldn't surprise us that James defends his claim with one more illustration. A spring that gives out mixed water. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? I think that we capture the the sense of this if we imagine turning on our faucet and it runs clear for maybe 10 seconds and then it coughs and it gurgles and it runs brown or it runs orange, and then it runs clear again, but then it coughs and gurgles, and something smelly comes out. Uh, No one is going to congratulate that faucet or that source of water for being mostly pure. A few weeks ago, uh, there was a power outage at uh, the the local um, water purification center in our neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And we woke up one Sunday morning wanting to shower, wanting to brush our teeth, wanting to make breakfast, but the water was coming out brown. I am quite sure that it was still mostly H2O, that it was mostly made up of water, but none of us were going to go near that water. And for about a week, we boiled our water and we drank from bottles. It's what is on the inside will eventually come out and it stains everything. And James is saying that if you are given to to tearing down those made in the image of God, You are betraying a lack of love for the God in whose image they are made. Friends, we've seen so far that our tongues are powerful and that the tongue is naturally wicked. I know that this is not an encouraging two-thirds of a sermon. And I think if you examine the first 12 verses, you'll notice that it doesn't seem as though James offers a solution Uh, There's no therefore, you know, that sort of Pauline therefore, here's the bad situation, therefore do this or therefore believe this. It seems like it's missing. He's painted a grim picture of the human tongue. And we might come to the end of verse 12 and wonder, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And I think it's that, that sense of what now that makes James's description of the wisdom from above so welcome. And so encouraging. Uh, We won't consider verses 13 to 18 in depth, uh, but we'll glean from them truths that we can bring to bear on our tongues and how we use them. And so consider finally from verses 13 to 18 that your tongue needs heavenly wisdom. Your tongue needs heavenly wisdom. And in this section, James gives us two wisdoms to consider. Earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Uh, We won't consider earthly wisdom in detail, 
But suffice it to say that the fruit of earthly wisdom and the fruit of an untamed tongue are of the same kind. We can see that they result in envy, selfish ambition, confusion, and every evil thing. The fruit are the same. The source of an untamed tongue and earthly wisdom are the same. The untamed tongue, James said, was set on fire by hell. And James calls the wisdom of this world demonic. This is the path. This is the source. This is the fruit of both the untamed tongue and the wisdom of this world. And friends, they can only lead to death. They can only lead to death. But James presents us with another better path. He says in verse 13, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. James talks about the wisdom that is from above. Uh, Many commentators have noted that that behind much of James's treatment of the, the subject matter of the tongue is the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, uh, especially the book of Proverbs. Uh, We've cited Proverbs frequently already. And Proverbs, of course, has a great deal to say about the tongue. Uh, But no surprise, the book of Proverbs has even more to say about wisdom. And something that we need to grasp, uh, a, a principle that we need to grasp as we consider the book of Proverbs, is that wisdom in Proverbs is not simply an attribute that belongs to God. Uh, God is wise, wisdom is an attribute, but in Proverbs, wisdom is personified. Wisdom speaks. And and as we examine the book of Proverbs, especially chapters 1 to 9, we see specifically that wisdom in Proverbs is a personification of Jesus Christ. I realize that that's a big statement, uh, but if you examine the first nine chapters, I think that you hear wisdom making incredible boasts, incredible boasts that can only be true of Christ. Proverbs 3.19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. You think about uh, the first chapter of John's gospel. Without the word, without Christ, nothing was made that was made. Wisdom says of herself, Proverbs 8, when the Lord established the heavens, I was there. I was there. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight. We see that wisdom was active in creation. We see that before creation, the Father in this personification of wisdom delighted in each other. Wisdom says, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Friends, this is why Paul could say of Christ that he is the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.24. And so, brothers and sisters, we see that Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. And so we can see that James's desire that we demonstrate a wisdom from above is a desire that we would be filled with Jesus Christ and with his spirit. Christian friends, Christ controlled his tongue. Proverbs 8, verse 8, All the words of my mouth are righteous. 
There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. In the face of wickedness and injustice, Isaiah says of Christ, like a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He did no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Christ's tongue was filled with the praise of his Father, as the psalmist says prophetically in the words that called us to worship this morning. Psalm 45, 1. My heart, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And brothers and sisters, this Jesus Christ, so perfect in wisdom and speech, he makes himself available to you. James said in chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding reproach. If you find yourself this morning unable to guard and tame your tongue, then James gives you the invitation to ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Brothers and sisters, in your own strength, you cannot tame your tongue. It is too powerful and too unruly and too difficult for you. But by faith in Jesus Christ, there is hope. Ask for his help and ask to be filled with his wisdom because James says he gives generously to all and he does not find reproach. Christ will so work in his people that while once their tongues were an instrument of unrighteousness, it will become an instrument of praise and thanksgiving to the glory of God. The promise of Scripture, Christian friends, is that one day we will stand before the throne with a new song on our lips to magnify our God. No more lies. No more biting and devouring words. Those words that we can't even consistently just address them to our enemies, but we address those biting and devouring words to our loved ones, to those who we love and care the most about. But God will change our speech. At that time, it will be fulfilled what God had promised through the prophet Zephaniah, referencing the coming day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 3 says, For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples, to a pure speech. I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech. And I will leave in your midst the people humble and lowly. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. As we behold Christ, as we behold Christ, the wisdom of God, we will become more and we will speak more like Jesus Christ. And one day it will be true of us what is said of Christ, Proverbs 8, 8 again. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing crooked or twisted in them. Well, we've considered this morning that your tongue is powerful and that apart from the sanctify, sanctifying grace of Christ, your tongue is wicked. But thanks be to God, we've seen also that there is wisdom and help available for us in Jesus Christ. Wisdom powerful enough to tame even the most unruly tongue. And so, brothers and sisters, pursue heavenly wisdom so that you can control your uncontrollable tongue. Amen.